Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space, and this is a chance to hear their stories. Well, today's guest has over 20 years of experience working with verbal and nonverbal kids on the autism spectrum, both in private practice and public non-public education, and now she channels her passion for these kids and that community into her role as founder and CEO of Thrive Therapy and Social Center. She's Mitra Ahani. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're grateful that you took the time to spend with us. Now, I, I want to go into your journey about how and why you're kind of doing this. But as a brief kind of bird's eye view overview, uh, tell us what exactly is Thrive Therapy and Social Center? Thrive Therapy and Social Center is a center-based therapy center. We provide occupational therapy, speech therapy, behavioral therapy, social skills um, for kids on the spectrum from little guys to older teens. And the real hook for us was that we wanted to make sure there was joy in each of these sessions. Mm. And the space we created was created for our clients so they could come in and make friends. And we put a lot of time into the design and And ultimately, it was born out of a need to make sure our kids had a really fun place to go where they were honored and celebrated and all of their successes were appreciated. Um, A little bit different than the school model. And uh, I looked around for a long time for that place. I couldn't find it. And so with the help of a lot of people, um, we were able to start it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, and let's talk a little bit about like what you were looking for. So I know you've been doing this uh, for a long time, like you've been working with kids in different types of environments and, you know, along eventually decided to make your own center. What do you think was missing uh, from the places that may, or maybe there weren't any places, but what was missing and what exactly were you looking for that you now provide in this area? So I started off in this field entirely because the year I graduated as a speech therapist, my niece was diagnosed with autism. And that was in the 90s. Um, And that was at a time where we only had Rain Man as our reference. Mm. And she didn't fit that profile. Sure. So we actually ended up starting um, at her school together. I had gone and interviewed the director uh, thinking we were going to open our own school. My mom and I at the time said, "Okay, well, we want to create a program for her specifically Um, and ended up finding a school that was perfect for Mm. for her. And but they had a wait list. They needed a speech therapist. um, And so we were able to work it out that if she were able to go there, I would come on as their speech therapist. Um, And it was a beautiful experience. We were together at school for five years. um, And I learned so much because I got to be at school with her. And then I got to go home and see what happened after school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, we teach, I teach communication, right? That's the main thing I do as a speech therapist before I took the role as founder. And Developing communication systems is a really 
intricate time with somebody who, who is nonverbal or even if they're verbal to develop a relationship where now we're going to figure out how to create a communication system that doesn't just work between the two of us. It actually works between the two of us. You can work with your family. You can speak to the community, whether it's a system, pictures, words. And in that time, I just fell in love with these kids. The relationships we built that were built in a way that I had never done before um, were really, really impactful. And I fell in love with the community. I fell in love with their families. I'm in touch with most of those kids that I started with um, as they turn into young adults now. And, and they've just been amazing for me to be able to think about the work we've done, see where they are today. And, and it gives me a lot of space to innovate because I've been watching them and I see them and you know, I want the world for them just like their families do. And, and they've done so much work and we've done so much work. So making sure that um, that we're really providing the kind of services throughout the lifespan that we want to see that include joy. That was that was all born from really getting to know these families at a really young age and, and falling in love with the population. Yeah. And I know that the needs can really vary from from kid to kid and family to family. So I guess it is that probably poses a a problem for trying to make sure that you can create a place that is inclusive for as many people as possible. How do you kind of try to balance that where you can kind of be that, that place for everybody who might, who might need you? You just try. Yeah. The number one thing, right. When we opened um, and my husband was really supportive and just said, just keep going. I mean, I opened it the way you're never supposed to, which was build it and they'll come. Okay. I, didn't ha- I did not have a contract. I had moved from a a speech therapy office in San Mateo to San Jose, one of the most expensive places, rented 6,000 square feet, beautifully designed it. And um, I was the speech therapist. I had one OT and the secretary, literally, that was seven years ago. And now we have about 200 kids, about 80 staff. And, And it wasn't about necessarily meeting each one of their needs. It was a collective, you belong here. Yeah. You come here, we hear you. I mean, it's not anything you don't need. It's the same thing I would do for a group of pe- any group of people that came into my home or a space I'm creating was sure. we're accepted. We're here together. Um, and you're supported. Really, what it was was let's have some fun. And and in school, that's a harder thing to do, whether you're typical on the spectrum or not. We know school, mm-hmm. at least for me, it was not a fun experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I really understood that part. Um, and I remember even with my niece, she was diagnosed. I was 20, and all I thought to myself was. I'll take you anywhere to go have fun. And there was nowhere to go because if we went to the park, everyone was going to stare at us. And that was going to be traumatic for both of us. The mall. I mean, you name it. There was nowhere to go where we could be ourselves, which maybe was loud. Maybe it was a little jumpy, but was still accepted. Um, And we just kind of went with the notion that this was for them. So when I interviewed staff, I said, listen, we are building a space for our kids. It's going to be your job to want them to include you. So we provided all the toys, trampolines, ball pits, swings, you know, we'll bring all of that. And it was a bit of a shift for what was happening. What was happening mostly was um, kids would go into a room with a table, maybe a couple toys. And I I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that. I wanted kids to come in and I wanted them to rule it. And, And what happens if we do? What if we give some of this onus to these kids? was really quick to find out that they would be involved in the process. They'd be excited to come. We'd have happy families and ultimately happy kids. I mean, being joyful shouldn't be reserved for one population, right? um, And it's a very basic notion. It's a human need we all have. And I I just wanted that. And I ended up, and and I'm a bit of a mad scientist, to be honest, like you can have (laughs) that idea. That's great, right? Like I want everyone to be happy and I want to learn. 
Um, the next step was finding that person that was going to help me take the, these mad scientist ideas and um, turn it into a business ultimately, right? So about a year into Thrive, I did. I met somebody who had a lot of experience in operations and understood uh, what it was going to take. And on top of being really brilliant, we have a really good relationship where if I come in with this idea, she feels free to tell me no (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, just kind of balance me out. And building that team became the second step to really turning Thrive into what I wanted it to be. And to be honest, it turned out to be more than I had even hoped for. So tell me a little bit about those first. So it it was a little while before you kind of got that business help help then, because I imagine it's, it might be a little bit of a, of a change to go from this, you know, working in the uh, schools or in the private sector, or even, you know, um, one-on-one to to deciding to start this as a business. Um, What were some of the obstacles that you guys kind of ran into right out the gate uh, that you had to overcome, I guess? Good question. You know, the need is so profound. And, and I had built quite a following, I would say, or, you know, these families knew me. I think the biggest obstacle um, for me was really just getting it going. I, I was less worried about the how. I knew why we were doing it. And that's sure. kind of always my advice. Like, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't do something when it comes mm-hmm, to business. Mm-hmm. And for me, the why was so big that it, it just, we were, we would run into an obstacle and overcome it. And my theory in the beginning, before I found this magical director, um, was I would tell everybody, listen, it's like a bucket. We fill the bucket, we find the holes, and then we plug the holes. And then we fill mm. a little more. And I used to say that to everybody, which, you know, in, res- in retrospect now, I'm so appreciative of everybody that started with us because sure. they saw that we wanted to do it really different. I wanted them to come to work with joy. I want my staff to feel really happy, right? Because then that is contagious. Um, and so in terms of obstacles, um, I was so passionate about what I wanted to do. I was so excited about what we were going to provide the kids. Don't get me wrong. Lots of tears. I mean, there was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, magic dust and look, everything is here. It was hard, but we knew we were onto something because we had some of the happiest kids that, I mean, we had parents driving by the center on the weekends to prove that it was closed because the kids wanted to come. Yeah. You know, how could how could that not be? And and sure. we just opened it up the whole space. And even when people come and tour us now, they're so surprised that everybody gets to use all of the space. But really, it was about making sure our kids got to see each other so they could build friendships. And not necessarily because Johnny was open at three and so was Bobby, mm-hmm. but because they're seeing somebody do something they like and, and slowly but surely they could maybe be close to each other and eventually start that reciprocal interaction much more naturally than the... Um, way I'd been seeing it done. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing it in all the ways. This was just the way I wanted to do it. I really wanted that creative freedom um, to be able to, to do it the way I thought would be more fun, to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I love what you said about like, you, you know, why you're doing that. You're clearly passionate about it. It comes through clearly. Um, And, and the why is so important to you that the how, you know, if you really know why you want to do something, you're going to figure out how to do it. And so that, am I correct that that's kind of how you kind of motivated yourself in those early times? I mean, a hundred percent. I, I, again, a lot of tears, (laughs) I'm not saying it was joyful, but it was 
I knew we could do it. We were going to do it. And there were days where I thought we couldn't. And either my brother or my husband or somebody would remind me that we could. So there was a team of people also behind me reminding me. Yeah. Um, but again, the joy in their faces when they came, the fact that we could, I had to create a whole treasure chest so that to leave, you would get a toy just to, just to transition out. Okay. You know, these were yeah. things I had thought about when I started, like, how do we get them out? It was always about wanting them to come in, having ideas before they even came in of what they wanted to do so they could be excited. Um, mm-hmm. they had power, they had control when they came to our center. Um, and so, yes, you run into hiccups, but the, you know, the reason why was so big. And, and even today when people say, gosh, me took the COVID, oh my gosh, how did you do it? And all I can say, say to anybody is if you knew who I was doing it for, you wouldn't even question yeah. how I was doing it because, you know, we were just doing it. <laughs> right. So tell me a little bit about uh, last year then, like how did things, how did it work out? I mean, you, you have a place people come to. So what was the, and, and you, you're in California, correct? So I know some of the guidelines were really pretty strict there. And some of this, uh, what was that like? Like, what did you guys do during that time? It was terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to be clear. Sure. Um, you know, I had seen it coming. It wasn't a big surprise. I think when you are responsible for hundreds of kids, you have your eye on these things. And so we had all of the hand sanitizer and all those good things. We did not have masks yet because uh, we weren't um, told to have them. Um, you know, it was a lot of questions, a lot of waiting. And then the day that we decided to close, I was in the administrative office with the director and we heard how many phone calls were coming. And then we heard a preschool we were at, somebody was infected. And I literally decided at that moment, um, we were going to cancel the rest of the day sessions and we're closing. Um, until I know I can keep everybody safe. I, I can't do this for even another moment. So we closed, we called everybody. And then about three hours later, Gavin shut the state. Hmm. So I came home and was like, okay, well, so far everybody's safe. So that's good. You know, where we go from here, honestly, I was not sure. Um, It's a tricky position to be in. I care about my staff greatly. I I wasn't going to ask them to do something that I didn't think was safe. But honestly, within a week, they started calling me. What are we going to do? And how are we going to do this? And people started stepping up. And it was only then that I felt safe saying, okay, let's think about this now. Um, so we went from we went from center based to home based when you know things were kind of starting to to get um, we started seeing it come and then we went to teletherapy. So everybody went to teletherapy. We did that for a little while and then slowly but surely we started sending one therapist out to one house um, as opposed to a couple of therapists. So we didn't have as many sessions going, but we we had we had enough people to make sure everybody got seen. And for some of these homes, we were the only face they saw for months on end. Mm-hmm. Um, the only chance parents got to take a break to talk about what was happening, only chance the child got to be with somebody besides their parents. Um, and it was it was so impactful, even for me and so inspiring that the staff did this in the way they did it. They stepped up. They, you know, I've, all I can say is the whole world stopped and sat down and like one by one, each of my staff started standing up and mm-hmm. we were open with them. We listened. You have roommates. Um, are they going somewhere? We know that you can't control these things. What we can tell you is we're here to walk through them with you. So we were available. You know, I had a roommate that went to Texas. I don't know what he did there. Da, 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 da. Okay, let's move to teletherapy until we know. So we just kept a lot of open communication. And um, the gratitude from the families was so overwhelming. To be honest, it still catches um, me off guard a little bit that it was the fuel that kept us going. So even though we didn't get to see each other and, you know, I'm not somebody that requires a thousand zoom meetings. I know everybody's busy. I know everybody's doing their work. So I try to be as meaningful about those meetings as I can. And 
I asked the parents if they had time just to send me a quick note about the impact for our holiday party um, because we did have a Zoom holiday party. And these videos and emails were so amazing. It turned out to be a 50-minute video. Mm. And I told everybody I'm going to put it on loop so that whenever you want to come in and see what everybody had to say, please do. Um, And it was just amazing. And again, those things got us through, right? Knowing why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. For me, um, our center is still closed. We're open just to some kids that we feel um, would be better served at the center. We have all been getting vaccinated. We're very lucky because we're in healthcare, So mm-hmm. we've been able to do that. Um, when we open the center, like fully is still up in the air. I'm not quite sure. I want to do it right. I want to do it once. Um, but so far, again, and we have 10,000 square feet, so we can have five or six kids and make sure that they're safely distanced from each other. But Honestly, also being able to go into their homes and pivot the way we have has been, um, you know, amazing because the parents are more involved, right? Because now they're not going to work. They have the time as well to be at home and really tune in. And, you know, in in some ways it slowed everything down so much that there was some catch up we got to do. Mm. Um, I I wouldn't wish for this again, but there were some silver linings, I think, for for our families. But of course, at this point, it's been a year and now we're ready. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ready to get back to it. Yes. What's it like running a business that is healthcare based? Like you said, like, I know that, I mean, uh, as far as like trying to you know, generate profits and things like that, um, the business side of it, is it like through insurance companies? Like, how do you guys kind of run that side of the business? You know, what's amazing um, when I, when we opened this insurance mandate, I was about to go through. And what it said was everyone who is basically diagnosed with autism is guaranteed these services. Mm. We had heard it was going to happen, but when would you ever believe that something like that was going to happen? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's insurance companies. And so I wasn't super hopeful about it. actually. <laughs> um, but no, we have insurance contracts with um, all the major insurance companies. They're amazing to work with. Our kids get the services they need. It's amazing to be in California where everybody's got healthcare and we can make sure that kids are seen. Um, we've never had to turn anyone away for that. We have private clients as well. I mean, we have, what we have is equity in healthcare. Yeah. It's the most amazing thing. And now when I was, uh, my niece was in, um, these services, that wasn't the case. When I first started as an SLP, that wasn't the case because insurance wasn't covering it. So sessions that are 75, 50, 100, $150 an hour, you know, you're not getting everybody, right. You're only able to get a certain, a certain, um, subset of people. And, when I first got to see the doors open to families more like mine growing up, we're immigrants. I was born in Iran, actually. And um, it was so magical because I knew what equity was here in services. And that wasn't something we had seen prior to that bill being passed. What we saw were the CEOs being able to get services and families that knew how to really work insurance companies and get advocates mm. and, you know, beyond what somebody, a family who just moved here or or even just somebody who didn't know that insurance was supposed to pay for it. Right. Right. Um, a few amazing moms out there went and sued a few insurance companies and got those laws passed. Honestly, that's how it happened. It was yeah. very angry autism moms. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> sure. They're, they're very powerful, I have to tell you. And that, so now for revenue, you know, we we do rely on the insurance companies and it's been um it's been amazing. We're that's able great. To grow and able to continue hiring. And um, again, what a magical feeling to not have to worry about that part. Yeah. Right. Now, now do you, do you see uh, yourself, do you see expansion in the future? Do you think you'll open other centers? What's the future look like? You know, the future is bright. Um, we've been very fortunate. We get a lot of calls from investors, a lot of strategic partners. We haven't picked anybody yet. Um, we're still really enjoying this and we want to get through COVID before we bring on any. Partner. Sure. 
But yes, do I want to see more thrives in different neighborhoods and across the country? Absolutely. I think mm -hmm. that our community needs it um, as one of many different ways to provide therapies. I don't think it's the only way, but I do think it's a very important way. Um, and of course, you know, moving into adults, because all those kids I started with are now young adults. And um, I would like to expand into that area for sure. Yeah. What would so um, what would that look like? Do you think uh, a center for adults? What would be what do you think would be different about that? Less demands, less requirements, more autonomy, more freedom, more mm -hmm. joy, more, you know, the same things we want for our, anybody who becomes mm -hmm. an adult, right? More making decisions for themselves and, and, and being okay with the space within that, right? So um, our expectations are really fast for people to do things, but being able to give a lot of space to somebody for them to decide when they're ready to step in and, and really just give them all the liberties that we have. Um, without tons of expectations kind of for what they should be doing and shouldn't be doing and where they should be working and da, 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 you know, all these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd like to remove all of that and open up a space that actually invites everybody in. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I don't know that it would necessarily be that we started with adults with autism. It might be a really cool community space where everybody comes in. And over time, we start bringing people in with autism so we can start teaching our community members. This is autism. You're seeing it everywhere now. Um, and really coaching our community how to be with people who are neurodiverse. And, and I mm -hmm. think for the most part, people want to, they're just scared. It's like, right. I always use the same example. If I brought somebody purple and I sat them next to me and they're just as nice as everybody else, you're going to actively avoid eye contact with them, right? Because they're purple and like, you don't <laughs> know what to do. Your brain's like, this person's purple and I don't know what to do. And we've been taught not to stare, right? Mm -hmm. So many things we thought we were doing right. But the reality is when we tell people don't stare because somebody's different, what we're teaching them is ignore them. Yeah, and don't look at them. Yeah. Right. So it's like, why aren't we saying smile? Sure. <laughs> you know? Ask questions or be yep. curious. And, and those things are okay. Because really, no matter how much work we do within autism, if we aren't reaching our community for our community to be less fearful, because I believe that's what it is. Because once you know somebody with autism, you realize how awesome they are. Mm -hmm. um, that's the real work. Because ultimately, mm -hmm. what's the point of doing all this work if they can't be part of their communities? That's really important to me, actually, the community piece. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's where I would like this ultimately to lead was that these skills we taught were for a life outside of here, mm -hmm. right? It wasn't just to make goals and kind of get through the day. It's, you know, we have a Netflix room. So kids come in and figure out how to use a remote control to pick the shows they want to watch. We have a barber chair because haircuts are so hard. Well, let's just sit them in the chair and start spraying water. So they see it's not this really intense thing, you know, um, a dental chair, they can lay down and just get used to being inverted because, to get a dental checkup, you have to be fully sedated. If you have autism, mm. that doesn't make sense. Again, equity in healthcare, that's not, that's not fair because that's going to prevent people from going. And then before you know it, tons of dental work on top of all these other things, too much. So yeah. again, being a family member helped a lot. Being able to see what happens when you get home. You know, she had the best education, one of the best schools, but when she got home, she didn't know how to use the remote control. But that was her her world at that point, right? Yeah. Then we got iPads. So it was like, okay, wait a second. Now we're really in control. So we have all these things that are coming to give them more autonomy because I think everybody wants that. Um, capitalizing on that innovation is important to me. And, and the iPad, by the way, you know, we used to have these communication devices and they were these 10-pound huge things. And I would take kids to Starbucks or wherever and automatically that teller would look at me because they didn't, this was, again, fear. I'm not looking at that mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. Then we got iPads 
And everybody knows an iPad, right? Mm -hmm. So these programs are amazing because the, the person can type. And when they turn the iPad, it actually enlarges it so that the communication partner can see what they're trying to say. And boom, we have some just interaction that doesn't have to do with me. That's great. Yeah. Well, a lot of people who listen to the show are obviously entrepreneurs like yourself or running businesses. Do you have any advice for maybe companies or or businesses who want to be more open to to find offer employment opportunities for people who are neurodiverse? Do you do you think there's um, you know, how can they, I guess, be more sensitive to that kind of stuff? I mean, I think we are losing out on a great population of people that will be unbelievably great employees. I'm the most honest, the most mm-hmm. consistent, you know, every single person with autism will have their own um, gift to give. But again, I think it's back to that community piece, because if I bring somebody with autism into a room where nobody's ever seen anybody with autism, and, and as a society, we've done a great job of kind of separating everyone. So so to be quite honest, the neurotypical people can feel comfortable in their space, mm-hmm. right? Because my kids with autism are fine jumping around. If you're standing there, they don't care that you're not moving. Mm-hmm. But Everybody else seems to care that we're moving. You know? right. um, so I don't think it really, I mean, I, I would love for it to start with employment because we need this, this needle to kind of move. But but before that, we need more exposure so that somebody sees somebody with autism and goes, oh, that's like my cousin or, oh, I, I met somebody with autism and I'm not scared so I can approach them. Yeah, that's great. Um, let, tell everybody how they can find out more information, like how they can find out about your center and uh, and get in contact you if they need to. Sure. Um, ThriveAutismCenter.com. Our website will tell you all about it. And I'm happy to talk with it to any uh, entrepreneur out there that um, is struggling and thinks they can't because I definitely spent years thinking that. <laughs> um, at Mitra, M-I-T-R-A, at ThriveAutismCenter.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, telling us your story. And thank you. I mean, it's amazing work that you're doing there. And, and I really appreciate you uh, sharing that with us today. Thank you. And we thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arkalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arkalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.